If you don't have a Bible of your own or ushers have Bibles available, just raise your hand and they'll bring a Bible that you can use throughout our service this morning. As you turn there, would you please stand with me? Acts chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menane, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone throughout, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened or what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement by the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hands said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with up uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found 
in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And John was finishing his course. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no fault worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, to no more, <clears throat> no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy ones see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised, but he who God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes in everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore. Lest what, is written, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells, to, tells it to you. And as they went, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, 
It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as, as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Amen. We've read this scripture before. You read it again because it's been a couple of weeks since our, our last uh, message in a series of Acts. And we want to bridge that together. And we want to get an understanding of what God is doing there. So I pray to God to bless our hearts to understand his word and be encouraged by it. Let's bow now for a time of prayer before our choir comes with special music. Special choir with special music. Father, thank you for this time together and to worship you. We thank you for all who are here. We pray, Lord, that we might be attentive to your word and, and we might be blessed by the hearing and the doing of your word. We might be encouraged to faithfulness this year, encouraged to steadfastness, to perseverance, to obedience to you. We pray for those who aren't here, Lord. We have some who have been sick. We pray for Willie and for Mickey, that you would watch over them, and Mickey's son, James, as well. We pray for um, recovery, and we pray for his salvation, Lord. Um, we just pray that you would bless each of them in their recovery. We thank you for watching over others who have been battling um, this different kind of viruses and flus. We pray for Jackie, who's not here today, that you would just watch over her, protect, bless, and bring healing to her. We pray for those who have traveled over uh, this holiday season and will be traveling back home. Uh, we think of Michelle and, and her children and, and for Jeremy as well. We just pray, Lord, that you would just um, watch over um, your people. We pray your blessing in, in this group of believers here that are gathered here at Sweet Communion. And we pray, Lord, that you would just use us throughout this year to bring glory to you. And we pray, Lord, that others might be able to join us as they come to faith in Jesus Christ. And they might be a part of the, uh, the warriors here, part of the team here to speak and to proclaim your word throughout this area. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We'll show a map of Paul's missionary's journey, and we'll be explaining that as we go through. But uh, as we continue our series now in Acts, we want to do just a quick review of what we've looked at in Acts, and then just preach again through this section of Acts 13. I know that we've looked at it before, but I think there is much for us to, to get from that. <clears throat> 
One of the purposes of Acts is to show forth God's purpose. Not just back then, but his universal purpose. And that is to proclaim his son and bring those who are sinners, bring them into salvation by believing in this one and only Savior. In Acts chapter 1, we see the writer and his purpose in writing. He wanted, he wanted people to know what had happened. And he wanted them to know the significance of that history. What had happened? Jesus had come into the world. And this is the significant event in all of history. We, that's why we make so much of the Advent season of Jesus stepping down from heaven, coming into earth, taking the form of a human baby and growing as a human being. And as, a, as the choir just sang, he lived, he was born so that he would die for the sins of his people. So Acts starts with his purpose in telling that story, and he goes on to lay out the truths or lay out the facts so that we would have a firm faith or firm standing uh, for our faith. After Jesus was resurrected, he had given instructions to the 11 that they were to wait for the Holy Spirit and they were to wait in Jerusalem and, and God would send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would enable them to be witnesses of what they had seen, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. They will be witnesses of that, starting in Jerusalem, going throughout Judea, spreading through Samaria, and then spreading into the entire world. That is God's purpose, that his people will be witnesses to who Jesus is, what he has done, what he has accomplished, so that people will come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was his purpose for those 11 there and the followers of Christ, and it is his purpose continuing on to this day. And that's why we sit right here today in Sweet Communion. We sit in a church so that the gospel might be spoken to us, that we might realize God's purpose and fulfill that purpose in this church and through this church to get the gospel out to the whole world. We see the book of Acts that, that there's the script for fulfilling that purpose. We see it laid out by the early believers and how they heard the purpose from Jesus and they began to live it out. Acts is simply that. It's the living out of that purpose. Also in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus laid this out for them, he ascended into heaven right in front of them. Later in that chapter, the disciples stay in Jerusalem, and we see Matthias is chosen to replace Judas as a disciple. Acts chapter 2, disciples are filled with the Spirit and they speak in foreign languages. 
This causes a gathering of people, and at that gathering, Peter, excuse me, Peter preaches uh, through to that whole group, and somewhere over three thousand people are saved and are devoted in the fellowship of believers. In Acts chapter three, Peter and John heal a lame man, and then that causes quite a stir, and Peter preaches to people gathered because of that. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested. And yet 5,000 people, again, are saved and brought into this community of believers. In Acts chapter 5, we see the word continuing going out, but now we see it in a different form. We see the testimony of Christ and the power of God a righteous God through this story of Ananias and Sapphira. They are judged by God, and because of that judgment, uh, there's a testimony that goes out to the world that this is an awesome group to be a part of. Who can stand in the face of God? And yet God's grace continues, and they grow. The apostles do miracles, and yet the apostles are arrested, and miraculously freed. This is Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 6, we see uh, as the community of believers grow, they have different issues they have to deal with. And to deal with those issues, seven godly men are chosen to serve. In Acts chapter 6, we also see the introduction of this one who served. His name was Stephen or Stephen. And he is arrested because of his powerful testimony. In Acts chapter 7, we see his testimony. He preaches to those who are gathered around him. Is actually uh, 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 a gang, a group of people uh, uh, who are gathered to stone him. But before that stoning, he gives a powerful wet testimony and preaches to them. And then he is stoned. He's executed. In Acts chapter 8, we see uh, Philip preaching in Samaria. And here we see now the gospel is spread out. We see intense persecution at the the stoning of Stephen. And then we see the gospel spreading out and it reaching out to Samaria. Um, And so (laughs) over here on the map, (laughs) Samaria is, is, is way down in here, but the gospel is starting to spread out. And so um, we, we see the accomplishment of the purpose of God that is set forth by uh, Philip preaching there uh, in Samaria. Peter and John go to Samaria um, and, and deal with those who are responding to the gospel and to uh, confirm what's going on there. And they also confront this uh, false teacher named um, Simon. Also in Acts chapter 8, We see the gospel spreading even abroad. It's going north, but it's also coming south now because uh, God has planned it this way. And there's a a man from Ethiopia. Ethiopia isn't even shown on the map here. Um, It it would be south, and it's in Africa, as you know. Uh, But a man comes from Ethiopia, comes to Jerusalem or to the area, and on his way back home, Philip encounters him, the Holy Spirit Uh, tells Philip to go to this region. He encounters this person, and the gospel is given to him. He is saved, and and what's not the rest of the story that's not told here is he would go home, and the gospel is spreading now 
to a new continent, to Africa. God's purpose is being completed. In Acts chapter 9, we see Saul's conversion and his development. I want to just touch on a few things. There's two individuals there uh, that are part of Paul's growth. Uh, Ananias is one that God had, had spoken to. Jesus spoke to him and told him to interact with Saul, who was called Paul. And also we see Barnabas who takes him under his wing, so to speak, introduces him to the disciples in Jerusalem and, and is there to uh, help him in his growth and his development. I mention that because that's part of God's purpose in the spread of the gospel, is that he connects us with each other so that we might uh, uh, be used, that we might be developed, that we might grow in our gifts, and that we might... Uh, um, um, partner together to to speak the gospel everywhere that we go. Also in Acts chapter 9, we see the acts of Peter. We see uh, Peter interacts with believers. He's starting to go up into, um, not shown on this map here, but going up into Joppa. He interacts with a woman named Dorcas, who was a believer who had died, and Peter restores her to life. Wow. This is a mighty testimony to the people around that community of what God is doing uh, through his people. And so the gospel continues to spread. In Acts chapter 10, we see a Peter interacting with a Gentile named Cornelius. And God is allowing the gospel now to come into uh, Caesarea. And uh, that's shown at the bottom of the map there. Uh, so... Uh, uh, um, this, this man, Cornelius, is a Gentile. He's from Caesarea, and God has shown Peter that he should speak to this man, and he has shown this man that the gospel is going to be presented to him, and he, the gospel is presented. He is saved in his household, and so we see the gospel spreading now. This, this is another Gentile that is, that is being uh, impacted by the gospel. And now we get into, uh, at the end of chapter, oh, excuse me, in chapter 11, uh, Peter reports his encounter with Cornelius to the believers back in Jerusalem. That's kind of where everything got started. He's reporting what's happened. What's significant about this? He's letting them know that God has intentionally taken the gospel to the Gentiles. And this is stuff, something that causes a stir at, at first because they don't understand all of God's purpose and all his plan. But Peter lets them know, hey, this was not my doing. This is God's doing. And so open up your eyes to see what God is doing. He's taking the gospel to the Gentiles. We also see in Acts chapter 11 activity in the church at Antioch. I don't have my pointer, so I'm just going to point right up here. We see Antioch here. But you'll notice there's another Antioch that we'll talk about in chapter 13, which is up here. Right now we're talking about this one here. There is activity in the church in Antioch. And this is Acts chapter 11. Let me go through here. I'll start in that verse 19, you will see there. It 
Let's read verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number of and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So we see we have a headquarters for the believers, kind of off the map. At the bottom would be Jerusalem. And then you have a north headquarters. Thank you. A north headquarters here in Antioch. So Jerusalem would be down here somewhere. It's not shown on this map. But that's where the church has started. And now we see a lot of activity here in Antioch. Now we get to chapter 12. We're back at Jerusalem and it says Herod kills James and he arrests Peter. Peter is rescued and Herod is judged. We see the power of God as even as he allows persecution yet he steps in and he sets, he lets in, in, in Small instances here and there, he lets people know in mighty ways that he is God. We saw that earlier in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. And now we see it here in Acts chapter 12 that God challenges uh, this gross sin that's done against his people. Now we might ask, why does God not do that all the time? Why does he allow his people to go through persecution? Well, he allows it for his purpose, and that's part of our life. If we're going to live as believers on this in this world, we're going to go through certain types of trouble, certain types of persecution. That's, I'm not saying that to discourage you. I'm saying because it's true, and if you know that, then you uh, prepare yourself uh, with that type of mindset. I'm reminded back in high school, I was part of the football team. I was captain on the team, and I was the quarterback. And, and I had noticed that we had a small school, and we had a small team. And so it was important for us to, to keep every person we could on that team. And so I would talk to people at the beginning of the season and say, now look, man, the season is rough. We, we got two a day starting in summer, and it's going to be grueling. The first weekend, you're going to want to quit. You're going to be so sore you can't even walk. You're going to wonder how you're going to make it to practice the next day. And then you're going to be in practice and the coach is going to say something you ain't going to like. Or you ain't going to get to the position that you thought you would get. Or you ain't going to get to start. Or you ain't going to get to play. There's some, some stuff that's going to happen. But look, I want you to endure. I want you to, 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 to persevere through the hardships. So I would tell people, give them the speech at the beginning of the season because you knew how things were going to be tough. That's, that's just a picture of the gospel life. We're telling you so that you might expect, so when it, get, when it comes, it doesn't catch you off guard. 
In Acts chapter 13, we see Barnabas and Saul called and sent on a missionary journey. We call it a missionary journey. What is a missionary journey? It's simply fulfilling God's purpose to spread the gospel. What did God want? How did God want this gospel spread? We'll see here that he wanted, he took individuals to speak the gospel and to establish local churches from those who were saved so that they would have a new headquarters and the gospel would go out from there. Remember what I said? We started here, it's not even shown on the map, in Jerusalem. And from there we have people saved in Caesarea, all the way through this area, and then now in Antioch. And now a headquarters is established in Antioch. A strong church is being built there. What's the purpose of that church? It's so that believers can go out from there and spread the gospel. The local church is very key and very important in God's purpose and God's plan that we might be connected together for the purpose of living out the testimony and of being a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said, you're going to be witnesses. The Holy Spirit is going to give you power. You're going to be witnesses to me everywhere I send you. But there's a headquarters there, and that's the church in that area is to be the meeting place, the, the, the place of support, the place of sending out, the place of encouragement, the place of hearing from God, the pay, place of fellowshipping together. That's the church in that location, and then they're sent out from there. And Sometimes they're just sent back to their homes and to work and job and work in church, and some are sent to extended locations. But whatever, wherever they go, they're to preach the gospel. The headquarters there is that church. That's God's purpose for getting his word out. Now, I say that because we live in a mixed-up world. We tend to think that we ought to get God's word out through charities. We ought to get God's word out through rescue missions. We ought to get God's word out through hospitals. We ought, listen, God still believes that the local church ought to be the hub and the center of that. Obviously, I'm thankful for rescue missions, thankful for hospitals, thank, thankful for different charities that do different things. But the hub needs to be the church. Nothing has come to replace that plan and God's purpose that the church be center and key to the building up of his people and the carrying out of the gospel. Let's see how that carries out in Acts chapter 13. Now there were in the hospital, community, charities, rescue missions at Antioch, no, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas. And he goes on to name these men. While they were worshiping, it says in verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So we see the Holy Spirit calling out these two individuals and sending them somewhere else. They were here active in Antioch, and he sends them out from there. Who did he send? Barnabas and Saul. Why didn't he send others? Well, he did send others. 
to other locations. But he sent these two specifically to this area. And I want you to notice, you'll see this blue line here. This is what we call Paul's first missionary journey. He's going to start in Antioch. And what he does when he gets down here, he's going to turn around and backtrack. He gets here, and he's going to come back to Antioch. My point is, he started at Antioch. He ended at Antioch. Antioch was the headquarters. It was the local church from which he was ministering from. He's not a solo mission all on his own. He was sent out by the Holy Spirit from the church at Antioch. He completed his mission and returned back to the church at Antioch. Now let's see what happened. A couple things that happened along the way. It says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So we see here in Antioch, they come to Seleucia here, which is a coastal city, and they're going to go to this island here of Cyprus. Uh, can we turn this one on as well? I know we have the remote, just so that everybody can see that. So they come down to this island of Cyprus, and it tells us when they arrived at Salamis, which is on the northeastern portion right here of this whole island. There's Salamis there. I know that writing is kind of small, but you probably have, if you have a, 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 um, a Bible study book, I know I have, um, if you have a, a study Bible, I know I have in mind maps in the back. And if you look to Paul's missionary journeys, you'll find a map like that that you might be able to read easier than, than this one. Um, there might be three separate maps of each of his journeys, or there might be one map that shows all three journeys in different colors. So um, you, you, can, you can identify with that there. So I kind of want you to kind of see some of that that's going on, just so you can relate to the, the, the travel that happens and, and what he's doing here. So at Salamis, what did they do? I want you to notice here what happens. It says, when they arrived, verse 5, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. That's important because that's a key to their practice. They will come to a new area and they will come and meet in the synagogue of that city and they would they would, they would be a part of the synagogue worship, and they would present the word of God there. You're going to notice this pattern everywhere that they go. They come into a new city, they go to the synagogue, and they, they identify with the people there, and from there the gospel goes out. It says in verse 5, they had John to assist them. Now, this is kind of an important side note, and, and I think this, is, this helps us be encouraged for the year. There are some people who start out serving faithfully and drop off during the year. John was one of those. Now, we see that they started with John, and the only other time he's mentioned, look at with, with me, um, in verse 13, 
It says, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So John started with them on this trip. He got here. When he got here, he said, I had enough. I ain't with y'all no more. I'm going back home. Now, we're not given all the reasons, but we know that, that Paul was very discouraged and upset with John for doing this. There was a commitment obviously made as they traveled and as they spoke the gospel, and John said, I- I'm done. I'm out of here. Now, we can relate to that. I can relate to it. You know, I kind of get upset when people don't keep their commitments. I don't always speak of it in the same way, but it's, you know, what what I'm saying here is as you go through 2022, there are going to be some disappointments along the way. You may be very much a part of that disappointment. You need to know that your faithfulness impacts other people and your unfaithfulness impacts other people. Did you know that Jesus said that if you would so much as give a cold drink of water to one that's doing his work, you have encouraged them, and there's a blessing for you. If you then put an obstacle in front of one who's doing God's work, you have discouraged them in some way, God's going to deal with that. We impact each other. What I'm saying, it's important for you to be faithful to serve God. Now, John Mark, his name is John Mark. They went by both of those names. He went on to do some good things for the Lord. But there was a point in time when he fell away, when he disappointed those who counted on him. Now, we pray that that won't be us this year. We pray that we need, to, we need to know that we are responsible for our actions, and our actions do have impact on others. You can't just, well, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and it don't matter what to y'all, this is my life, I'm doing whatever. God says your actions affect and impact other people. Be mindful of that, and God's going to hold you accountable for that. On the other side, we need to know that our faithfulness does not depend on other people. In other words, if you're on the Saul side of this equation, you're saying, yeah, John disappointed me, but I must go on. John's going back to Jerusalem, but I'm staying here, and we're going to finish the work that God has set for me. God is dealing with both of those. I pray that God would help us in persevering through this year. Be a Saul, not a Mark. Both are saved. Both came on to, 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 to make adjustments, and, and, and Mark came on to, to live for the Lord, and, and he regretted that time of disappointment. But this is real life we're talking now, aren't we? God is saying, set out in 2020 to obey the Lord and to be an encouragement to those who are walking with the Lord. So we see this in Acts chapter 13. We also see what happens to them in the different areas. 
It says in verse 6, When they had gone through the whole island of Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So we see them coming through this island from Salamis over to the whole region of Paphos. Now, we're not told all that they did in, in between there, but when they got here, they encountered this man. Now, we've already preached on what happened here. I just wanted to tie us in and what's going on. And now we see they leave Paphos. Verse 13, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos to come to Perga in Pamphylia. So they leave here and come to Perga. And that's where it says in the next verse that John Mark left and went back to Jerusalem. Notice what they do. Verse 14, when they went on from Perga, I like that, they went on. John left them, but they went on. They continued in the work. One of the things I've stated here at Sweet Communion, we're not a huge church, but God's work needs to go on. And we're going to have some who serve faithfully and some who have bouts of unfaithfulness, but God's work needs to go on. I was reading an email from our truth seekers last night about the need for workers in, in the truth seeker ministry. And just crying out for those who be willing to help in any way that they can. I'm thankful for the responses that came for that. But we need you to, to get involved. God's work needs to go on. And that's what they did. They went on from there. And where did they go? They went in, it says, they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. Now you notice that's distinguished from this Antioch, they are now headed here to this Antioch in Pisidia. And so they get there, and it says, I want you to see what they did. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Okay, It was their practice, as I mentioned before, that they would meet with the Jews in the synagogue and they would start there. They would preach the word of God there. Do you, do you remember that, that small passage? Can I, I turn there first? It's in John chapter 1. John chapter 1. You may not have understood it, the significance of it when you read it the first time. In John chapter 1, it says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He came to his own. You'll notice in Jesus' ministry, he came to the Jews first. Another passage is in Romans chapter 1, it's verse 16. I want to read that real quick and just tie you in on, on God's plan and what he was doing there. In Romans 1, 16, it says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. God says this is the order of things. I want this gospel first presented to the Jews, and it started in Jerusalem, right? And everywhere that Paul and, and, and these uh, believers went, they started ministering to the Jews, to the Jew first, and then later on to the Gentiles. 
Jesus did that same thing in his own ministry. This is a witness against. It's a witness to the Jews and a witness against them as well. To say, you have been given the privilege of hearing the gospel. Remember what, what Paul said in, later on in Acts chapter 13? Let's, let's go back there. In Acts chapter 13, it says, verse 46, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. In other words, they, they, they presented the gospel just as God had told them to do, and it was rejected by the Jews. It was a testimony to them, but a testimony against them. Jesus is often that way. He's a rock of offense to some. <laughs> he's, he's a stone uh, to others, that, that foundation, he's a rock of offense to others. And, and so the gospel often is, is seen this way. And so they would go into the synagogue, they would preach the gospel there, and they would see, they would, in some places they'd have listeners, listening ears, and uh, they would be uh, uh, accepting and receiving of the message. So that's what they did in Antioch of Pisidia. And, and in fact, we, we get the message that goes out. And I want to skip down um, to verse 32. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. <clears throat> and then in verse 36 of this verse 38 let it be known to you therefore brothers that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be free by the law of Moses so he's speaking the gospel to them and then he warns them and he says beware verse 40 beware lest what is said in the prophets should come about what is he speaking of Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. He's saying as a, God had proclaimed that the gospel will go out to Jews, but they will find hard hearts who will reject his word and reject his truths. Well, we find that same thing happening in the world today, don't we? We have, you, you, you speak to people and you would think, certainly here's a person who would love to hear the gospel. When they hear this good news, they're, they're going to they're, they're gonna jump and shout with joy. You would think that. But you see, oftentimes it is rejected by those very types of individuals and accepted by those that you wouldn't think that would accept it. It's one of the reasons why, you know, you, you, you can't go about saying, I'm going to have a black church or a white church or a Hispanic church or this type of church. Because God is going to save those who he has appointed for eternal life. We need to simply give the gospel out every opportunity we have. And God is going to speak to individuals, no matter what they are, what nationality they are, he's going to speak to them and bring them to the gospel. We see they went out to speak to Jews and many of the Jews rejected them. So we see this happening here. It says, verse 42, As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. 
overwhelming reception, right? We want to hear more. Come next Sabbath and, and speak to us. It says in verse 43, and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to, Jews, to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So they had a, a good reception. People were open. They were receptive. And, and I've seen that as well. We see people who are ready to receive the gospel. Notice the message from Paul and Barnabas, that they will continue in the grace of God. You see, some people hear the word. It's like the parable that Jesus spoke of when seed is spread out. Sometimes it sprouts up quickly. But then the sun comes and scorches it. Sometimes there's an initial reception to things, and yet it's not seen in a continuance of faithfulness or perseverance. That faithfulness and perseverance just shows true uh, fruit from the seed. We see the great reception, and then we see the great rejection as well. Look at verse 44. The next Sabbath. Almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of God. Now, you think that'd be a good thing, right? Everybody's coming from all over the time. We want to hear more. We want to hear more. And we see a lot of people, in fact, are believing and turning. But we also see this. It says, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. What does that mean? You know, when, when things started to happen, the gospel go out, people were like, yeah, oh, that's great. I'm good news. You know, you opened my eyes to the truth. But then they met something else. There's opposition to the gospel. I would warn people today that when you hear the gospel, don't think that you can come back and accept it anytime you want. God is opening the door and, 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 and he's given an opportunity for you to receive what he has. And it is his work that draws you to himself. When you reject that, you reject truth. And here's what happens. It says, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city was gathered. But when the Jews, uh, <clears throat> it's, let me go to verse 46. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. Going down to verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing. They began rejoicing. They had presented the word of God, and some heard it and rejected it. Some heard it and overwhelmingly embraced this gospel. They began rejoicing. I noticed something in here. You notice that the Gentiles who didn't think themselves worthy of hearing anything or getting anything from God. It's the Jews who thought that they had a right to the things of God. They thought that God owed them something. Those are the ones who ultimately rejected what God was presenting before them. And it's those who God had given such a, a, a grace and humility to know that they didn't deserve anything, but yet God was bringing to them this great news. Those were the ones who were overjoyed with this gospel. And it says this in, the, in verse 48, And as many as were appointed to eternal life 
believed. It's the work of God that causes one to move to God. One who is dead in sin to be alive and to move to God. But it says this, the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. This is in Antioch. Excuse, yeah, in Antioch of Pisidia. And in, verse four, in chapter 14, we see them now at, in Iconium. And I want to just go to a verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and sum things up here. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. He's speaking, Paul is speaking to Timothy. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Now, all those things are positive things, aren't they? You, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. And then he gets to something that kind of surprised you in this list. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. He's going through what we're reading now in Acts chapter 13 and 14. Paul says, hey, <laughs> Timothy, you saw the things that happened to me. You saw my testimony, and you saw some of the most difficult times in my life persecutions that I endured. Now, we're going to read about those in the next coming weeks in our study, but I want you to see what he says here. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. As we go into this year of 2022, I pray that we might be like Paul as we encounter persecutions, that we not run away like Mark, but that we endure them like Paul. What does he say? I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. I want you to see, when we endure, it's not just our doing. It's God who gets the glory. It's God who gets the credit. Paul says, I endured. Yes, I have a role. I have a part in it. But it's God who rescued me. He is the one that I give credit. He is the one that I give glory to for helping me to endure what I had to go through. And then he says this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In other words, he says, all believers who walk as Jesus walked are going to encounter some type of difficulty in their life. That may have been 2020, that may have been 2021, or maybe 2022. That's not said to scare you. It's to say that when those come, trust in the Lord and endure. We're going, to, we're going to come to and encounter some type of challenge in our life. 
The thing is, not all of us will encounter the same type of challenge. But all of us will face some type of challenge in our life. And God wants us to endure for his glory and give him the glory and the credit for taking us through what he wants to take us through. Jesus Christ endured in his life. He knew what God's purpose and plan was. He went to the cross, endured the suffering and the shame for our sake so that we might have this salvation. We're followers of Christ. God will have us, like Christ, endure some type of suffering. Not the same as Christ. No one experiences what Jesus did. The sinless one being put to shame on a cross. But we will endure some type of suffering or we will encounter it. The question is, will we endure? Will we trust in God through it? Will we persevere through this year? Father, I thank you for your word today. As we encounter our challenges, I pray, Lord, that we might count on your faithfulness, that we might embrace your strength, you might endeavor to continue on, even as others might disappoint or fall away, that we might continue, that we might endure. Paul was a beautiful example. You prepared us for the challenges ahead of us by warning us that they certainly will come. But you also promised that you will give us that strength that encouragement that we need to keep going. Help us to focus our eyes on Jesus, to trust in his word and his promises and his truth, and just give us that strength to endure. In Jesus' name we pray.